welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today is going to be one of our other favorite episodes of the season, I think. Uh, For sure. (laughs) If y'all liked the season six premiere of National Treasure Hunt, this episode is going to be that on steroids because... Today's episode is going to be our recap of and commentary on the second half of season one of National Treasure, Edge of History. So this is just for posterity's sake, episodes six through ten. So we're getting to the finale today. We are getting to the finale today. It is going to be a good one, everyone. Aubrey, I think you have an update for our listeners before we kind of (laughs) dive into our normal structure here. Absolutely. Uh, In our last regular episode, y'all might remember, we went through and introduced you to all of the principal characters for the first season of Edge of History. And we were playing our fun, like, alternate casting game. You remember that? Yeah. So, um, we... You might recall that I was kind of struggling a little bit to come up with an alternate casting for Billy as our villain. Mm -hmm. Um, And without prompting, I guess when my my mom was listening to our episode, she texted me and said that her alternate casting for Billy is Cote de Pablo, who folks might know as Ziva David in NCIS. Oh, I've never heard of her, but that's cool. Yeah, and I, honestly, after she texted me that, I was like, yep, I could see that. So there is a an update for you all. <laughs> Lovely. Well, it is now that time. That time where we go into the pit, Aubrey. Yes, uh, it is time for us to proceed with our screams from Parkington Lane, our bi-weekly admission that we have fallen headfirst into the deep dark and death-promising pit beneath the Parkington Lane crypt in the first National Treasure film. But unlike Shaw, we are hoping not to fall to our death. We just have some fun stories to share. This is our acknowledgement that National Treasure has taken over our lives. Emily, do you have a scream to share this week? I do. I am so excited. This literally happened to me last night. Um, It's like, it's a tangential scream. It's fine, though. But um, we were getting ice cream. Mm-hmm. last night and we were in center city uh philadelphia so we uh were kind of parked in a place we shouldn't have been parked with the blinkers on i was sitting in the car just like looking around and i look up and i see that the forest theater um is is right there and what is going to be showing at the forest theater other than direct from broadway 1776 the musical is a musical um yeah okay i have never heard of it i did not know it was on broadway uh but it is it is coming it has in the six of 1776 there is both an american flag and a british flag uh, for obvious reasons uh the picture got cut off a little by the no parking sign but uh, it looks as though it is running from February 14th to what I believe is the 26th, which doesn't seem like a very long run. Uh, but if anybody is in the Philadelphia area and wants to go ahead and check out 1776, the musical, um, I immediately saw that and thought National Treasure. So, Wow, this is not an ad. I feel the need to. No. 
<laughs> to clarify, but I love that. Uh, again, I also did not know that was a thing. Um, if I were home or in, in the area, I feel like we would have to go together. Almost certainly. <laughs> Aubrey, what is your scream? Um, so my scream this week is one of my dreams. Um, as uh, you know, classic. I frequently have national treasure related dreams i think especially when i'm stressed i don't know what that says um but i recently had a dream that we were giving our semi-annual tour emily in dc um maybe this is because we recently announced that our tour dates for the 2023 spring season will be may 6th and 7th you can sign up very soon um but in this dream it was like supposed to be in Washington DC, but in actuality it was taking place like in my neighborhood where I'm from in New Jersey. Nice. And we like started at my parents' house, like the tour group started at my parents' house and there were like a lot of people on the tour. It was very exciting, but it like started raining. And as we're walking, it's just like it's more and more raining and every time I turn around to like face the group, more and more people are just, like, disappearing. Oh, no. They were just gone. And it was the worst. I hated this dream. And for that reason, all of you have to come on the tour so that I don't feel bad about people yeah. disappearing. But also, it sounds like, <laughs> come on the tour, but if it rains, don't don't disappear. Don't disappear, exactly. Bring a poncho. <laughs> be or an umbrella. Pre- be prepared, exactly. Um... So that was that was my scream. If you can't tell, I've been kind of stressed lately. <laughs> wow. Well, if you want to either stress Aubrey out further or not, uh, you can find us on social media. We are uh, on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. You can find information about our tour and our podcast in general at our website, which is nthuntpodcast.com. And last but not least, please go ahead and head over to tuckerdspress.com, where you now can pre-order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy. We're getting closer and closer to that release date, M, for the book. I can't even believe it. It is exciting. Okay, so... Let's get to the meat of this episode. It's going to be another long one, you guys. A lot like our season six premiere. There's not much we can do about that, again, because we're going through five whole episodes of TV. Um, But I think that after today's discussion, we will be able to start doing some really interesting comparisons between Edge of History and our beloved films, now that we'll all be on the same page about what happens in this show. So, quick outline This is, again, basically just like our previous episodes, number one and number 11, about the movies. We're just doing it for the series. We're going to sequentially progress through episodes 6 through 10 of Edge of History Season 1, highlighting very important points that will be necessary to understand the ending of this season. And, of course, pointing out some small or large things that we like or don't like, but we'll be as brief as we can just to keep things moving here. So anything, any other caveats you want to add before we get started, Emily? I would just like to say, as we say at the beginning and end of all of these episodes, we will be poking fun at things. We will be pointing things out that we don't like. It's National Treasure. 
overall we we enjoy it it's part of the franchise okay so don't uh don't get offended if we sound like we don't like something uh we feel that we have earned the right uh to to critique uh some some of these things so just just keep that in mind as we're going through and uh i think uh this one might even be more positive than the last one it will be for me i don't know about you but um I, I think I think we have a lot to talk about. Let's just start there. So let's dive right in with season one, episode six, titled Frenemies. And I just have to say right off the bat, I feel like this episode title is going to age poorly just because of how like slang and time stamped it is, you know, as as much as people are complaining about like the Gen Z speak in the show. This is already showing up in the episode title. Yeah, it's definitely a weird one. <laughs> um, I I don't hate it, uh, but but it it's yeah, it's weird. We'll we'll see what happens over time. Yeah, over time, okay. So as a reminder, y'all, we are coming off of Jess Valenzuela getting into Billy Pierce, our villain's car, in a moment of desperation as she's escaping the governor's gala, if you will. Now, as they're in the car driving together, of course, Jess is super skeptical. Why is my nemesis helping me right now? And it's at this point that Billy claims that she and Jess's father, Raphael, were partners in the treasure hunt 20 years ago, and that Billy both knew and was like close friends with Jess's mom, Manuela. She shows Jess that she, too, has a Daughters of the Plumed Serpent medallion. So they're basically on the same team. Which, does that come up again, that she has her own? Uh, yeah, in one more second at dinner. Because the, okay. next, place, <laughs> the next place they go is to a very fancy dinner. Um, Billy tries to head off Jess's, you know, logical suspicion, I guess you could say, by saying that, she didn't just, like, purchase the medallion on the black market. She didn't just create a fake one. Instead, Billy shows Jess a photograph of Raphael with Billy's brother, Sebastian. And she says, oh, yeah, both of them were looking for the treasure together to protect it. And this is supposed to explain why Billy has a medallion. Right. But then, I mean, we'll get to it later. But I, I feel like like her own medallion wasn't good enough at the end of everything. We'll, we'll get to it, but yeah. Because it wasn't. It was a fake. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that. Also, her <laughs> whole thing, I, I don't know about you, I did not buy any of this. Uh, no, but as our, our dedicated listeners will know, I have been scouring social media religiously to kind of understand fan reactions. And a lot of people bought this in the beginning. Whoa. Yeah, they really thought, spoiler alert, folks, this is going to be entirely fake. Billy's whole story <laughs> is fake. This is all yes. a ploy. Um, we'll get there. But yeah, some people were buying it. And I'll admit, I loved the scenes where the where Jess and Billy were working together that we're going to work through. I thought they were really interesting. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, to me, this sounded fake immediately. And there are going to be points later in this episode that from my perspective, if you did believe Billy at the beginning, it should be it should have been very clear that this was fake. Yeah. So anyway, um, Billy claims that her brother Sebastian was murdered by Salazar, much like 
Raphael was was murdered by Salazar. Um, and Billy basically says, you know, we could be working together here. If we work together, you know, Jess, you'll be able to validate your mom's life's work, this whole thesis that she did on Malinche. And and you'll be able to prove that your mom was correct. Um, and, and there was a line here, Em, I don't know if you caught it, where Billy says, this could be your chance to have the last laugh. And it really reminded me of Ian's, uh, to Ian saying to Ben, you should be able to rub this treasure in their arrogant faces. I remember neither of those lines, but great pickup. That is awesome. <laughs> my god okay i'm that's what i'm here for y'all the i'm here to remind the quote queen what the actual quotes are it wasn't a meaningful quote i mean i would say that at this point we should i feel like i can certainly recite the entirety of the national treasure movie so something like this jumped out at me immediately well good for you in addition to <laughs> In addition to Billy lying her off about all of this other stuff, she also starts to tell Jess that Liam is a bad, bad boy um, and that he offered to steal the Meriwether Lewis Journal for Billy and that she basically paid him for it, um, explaining why Billy has it. Uh, Yes. We learn that that's not true. But um, our Jess, of course, as part of the drama, is now like, oh my gosh, Liam, I thought I trusted him, and then, or I thought I trusted him, then I didn't, then I trusted him again, and now I don't even know. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're, we're, we're going all over the place. We are. And our next stop really is um, Billy's private jet, where Jess meets two current hench people, our, our lovely friend Casey the redheaded uh, female hench person and um, Nate's replacement. Nate is the one that fell into a pit and died. Nate's replacement's name is Dario. So um, the group, I guess it's the, the hench people and Billy and Jess, they're examining the journal with white gloves, LOL. Yes. Amazing. Um, Jess finds as she's like flipping through the journal she finds the only entry that's in french <laughs> and notes that sacagawea spoke french and just now magically randomly knows that the line in the clue they're solving quote revealed by the bend means the bend of the like strap the tying thing that like holds the journal shut yeah that was We've we've criticized, I would say, in episode 51, we criticized the speed at which many of the, the puzzles here are being solved, um, especially clue-related puzzles, like direct clue-related puzzles, um, without any trial and error, and I see that happening again right here. Um, Jess notes that what she's looking at is a broken word puzzle. She explains that blue, green, and white... Not only are these the colors of little tiny bands wrapped around the strap on the book, but these colors were also used by Sacagawea's tribe, the Shoshone. Um, And so if they weave the strap of the journal through these like holes or like cuts in the journal page, the string ends up sort of underlining the text 
and the letters of the text that line up with the colors on the string spell a message. Did that make any sense? Did I explain that okay? You explained it very well. I mean, yeah, when it was happening, like seeing it on screen, I understood what was happening. <laughs> but it was just, it was a little much. Um, I think just figuring all that out and like it's it's definitely a cool way to solve a puzzle, which I think they were probably going for, like a unique kind of way to solve a puzzle. Um, but it it was yeah. Yeah, I mean way too fortuitous puzzle solving for me here again but I will admit that I do want to research broken word puzzles now and we will obviously be doing that for a future episode I'm looking forward to it very much <laughs> maybe this will make more sense then um so the words that are created by this broken word puzzle are alamo well so Jess says this is where the lapis box is is hidden at the well at the Alamo. Now, naturally, yeah, they they mentioned that the Alamo was built for the Spanish. So if they hid the box here, it would be hidden under the Spaniards' very noses. So they would effectively be protecting the box from themselves without even knowing it, which is cute. It is. Um, but Billy suddenly reveals, <laughs> this is literal magic, that the um the relic boxes are magnetic. Yeah, why not? And this is where Billy also explains that, according to her, Liam sold her the jade box. And that's how she has it. Not because she killed Liam's dad. Nope. She is just throwing Liam under the bus or the boat. Or plane. Literally. The plane, yeah. All the... <laughs> under all the things. So, basically, if you're if you're keeping score... Billy has the jade box and she has the obsidian box. And so they're going to the Alamo to find the lapis box. Now, Jess suddenly decides she needs to do the rest of this whole treasure hunt by herself. So she's going to pick a fight with her Biffle, Tasha, who in her own anger over the situation, Tasha goes back to her ex-boyfriend, Oren, to kind of comfort her. And this is some cute comic relief with Tasha and Oren kind of getting back together. Uh, Emily, I'm sure you enjoyed this. It was amazing. I loved it so much. I was so happy. I can't. Yes, it was amazing. Love okay. it. Well, I'm glad. And I'm sure you also noted um, something that the Twitter sphere noted, which was that at one point Tasha and Oren are shown watching a Marvel movie. Yeah. And Twitter literally could not get over this. I... Josh and I were very excited. Everyone on, oh my gosh, at least half of the tweets I collected that the week of this episode premiering were about this. And it just blew my mind because I was like, I did not even register this. Like, this is so unimportant. I was like, what the heck? Um, Also, speaking of Twitter, I'm sorry to say, Emily, you're probably going to hate this. But again, around the time of this episode um, or this this edge of history episode the most recurring negative theme on twitter about the show um is the emphasis on teen romance related drama (laughs) so jess after ditching tasha and her friends she goes to agent sadesky's house again because liam doesn't know how to use locks on doors um and she finds that sadesky's clue room has been ransacked and for some reason, the gray-bearded guy, whose name is Maddox, and 
we think works for Salazar, according to Billy. Gray bearded guy attacks Jess. Um, having seen the whole season now, this is particularly annoying to me because it makes no sense and will continue to make no sense. More on that later. So gray bearded guy attacks Jess. Casey, hench, henchwoman Casey, rescues Jess. And, and this scene really functions to give us a sense of Billy's purported story, a little bit of her background, because we know very little about her at this point. Casey says that Billy was orphaned at a young age. Her brother Sebastian was basically her only remaining family. And then, as we know, he was also killed. So this kind of leaves Billy's employees, like Casey, to be Billy's family. So the relationship basically between Casey and Billy, Casey basically said, yeah, she took me in off the street. She paid for my education. She gave me a job. Like, she's a good person here. I do have to say, upon hearing this, it did make me feel bad. Um, about the way that I reacted when that that guy died. <laughs> the guy fell down the was pit. So upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> over now I have some context. <laughs> over here, over here, we had Emily in episode fifty-one of National Treasure Hunt. I'm like, yeah, I really enjoyed seeing the humanity in Billy and how she was upset when Nate fell down the pit. And you're like, no, I hated that. That was ridiculous. And I was like, oh, that's a is that a hill you want to die on, Emily? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Okay, so now it's time for a classic FBI check-in, you know. Um, Agent Ross, our friend um, Agent Lyndon Ross, who will soon have a different name. Um, <laughs> she has suddenly come to the conclusion that Jess was actually telling the truth about Sadusky being murdered in relation to some treasure because Ross has now obtained footage of Billy at the USS kid from way back in episode two, where Jess was like, Oh, we're arranging a, like an exchange at the USS kid. And she had told agent Ross that. So anyway, um, we learn a little bit more backstory about agent Ross in this conversation, because she's having a conversation with Dr. Zeke, the coroner. Um, and she tells him that the reason she lost her job in sort of D.C. headquarters for the FBI was because she arrested the wrong person for murder and the right person wasn't caught until he had actually gone and killed someone else. Okay, I don't mean to be insensitive here. I feel like this probably happens. A lot. A lot. And people, well, I mean side note on just the status of our country obviously that like that's not getting people fired um but uh, like not to say that it's an okay thing that happened but for her, and i understand why she'd be upset about it but for her to get like moved to a different place like i, I don't know it just to me felt like i feel like this isn't that uncommon in your line of work yeah so I would agree. Well, how about this one? Um, to comfort her, Dr. Zeke tells her that uh, the reason he's a coroner and not a surgeon is because he accidentally killed someone on the surgery table. Once again, this is part of the risk that goes along with surgery, I feel like. Um, and I mean, so my immediate thought was like, oh, well, he must have been like drunk or something when he was doing the surgery. And it, it doesn't seem like that was the case. It seems like he just like made a mistake unless he intentionally did it in which case you know that's a that's a different issue but yeah so I, I i love seeing the humanity in these characters 
um, and getting to hear their little little story bits. But it is, uh, it, it does seem like somewhat generic things have happened to them that have resulted in them being where they are now. I'm going to insert an asterisk in you saying you like seeing the humanity in characters because you like seeing humanity in characters as long as the character isn't your villain. So, Or as long as they are involved in a love story. Okay, that, that'll do it for you. Okay, let's get back. Um, we've done our FBI check-in. So now we're back with Billy and Jess and Casey who are crafting their plan for what to do at the Alamo. They basically have done some research. They've done their Googles and they have learned uh, that they will have 10 minutes during the daily Alamo reenactment to get into the well to find the box. Now, as they conclude their planning sequence, we have a very brief moment, which is where I personally feel like if you were a viewer who thought maybe Billy wasn't full of it up until this point, maybe this should have been your first hint. So Billy tells Casey to make sure the Meriwether Lewis Journal gets back to the governor's mansion. And the actors, so, you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Brita Wool in this scene they sound like they're forcing it, but I'm not accusing them of bad acting. It was clearly intentional because it was supposed to kind of be a hint that something was up here, you know? So this is personally, I think, the first moment when viewers who were buying it should have known, yeah, they're trying to play Jess here. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, I like it. Did you I, I, did I, you I, think I, this was a weird scene at all? Did you catch on no, to this? no. Okay, well, next time you watch this, then, when you're listening to this particular moment, like, also watch the screen, because it's, like, no one's gonna be able to see me doing this for you, Emily, but, like, um, Catherine Zeta-Jones is, like, yeah, so make sure it gets back to the mansion, and Casey's, like, oh, yes, of course, you know, like, <laughs> so I was just, like, ah. um, anyway, um, one of your love stories is no longer, I Emily. Don't care. Because Ethan and his girlfriend, Mina, have broken up. Um, and this is the exact moment that Ethan finally comes to terms with the fact that he has feelings for Jess. Um, the only reason this scene is important, and the only reason I actually mentioned it in this recap, is because Mina conveniently works at a hospital. This is true. This was great. <laughs> so as Ethan is leaving the hospital from, you know, talking to Mina on her shift, I guess, um, he sees, Ethan sees that Liam is there looking V-roughed up. Baby Liam. Yeah, so bruised ribs, concussion, looks a lot worse than that, I will admit. Um, when Liam comes to, he tells Ethan that at the governor's ball, he saw Billy arriving while Ethan and Jess were doing their atrocious dance. Um and so that's why Liam ran off, not because he was upset about the dance, because he saw Billy coming. So he's like, I need to get to the journal before Billy can. And as soon as he has the journal, because again, he stole it, um, Casey jumps him. I guess, I guess I should say this in the past tense, like Casey jumped him because this has now happened already and took the journal from him and then dumped him in the river to drown. Aggressive, Casey. I mean, you. I know you're not a fan of this character, Emily, but she, I would say, is a much more dedicated and effective henchwoman than any of our previous hench people in the movies. Oh, yeah. 
So we got to give credit where credit is due. I'm, I'm, this villain team is on its, on its haggis. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's gonna be my new thing. I'm just gonna say the word haggis when I want to curse. How about that? Um. Anyway. Um. Do you have any thoughts on this? Did you feel real bad for Liam? Yeah, I already said sad for Liam. Okay. Just didn't know if you had any other thoughts at all to share. No, Aubrey, we have like four more episodes to talk about. I, I know. I just we okay. we gotta keep moving. My thoughts on Liam are sad. Okay, sad. Emily is sad. Uh, so then we're gonna go to the Alamo. We're now at the Alamo with at which Emily is bored. Jess, Billy, and Casey are now dressed up as Alamo reenactors. Um, it is in this moment they're kind of going into the area where the well actually is. Um, that we have the second moment that I felt like people who were, you know, believing Billy should have a moment of like, eh, because Billy says this line that comes off again because Catherine Zeta Jones is a good actress. She is playing Billy who's faking what she's saying she says in a very forced manner when we find that treasure we will restore glory to all indigenous people like, uh, no yeah it was a little it, it's all about the delivery I'm telling you um when Billy said this line that it really felt like even more proof that the for the audience that Billy is playing Jess anyway during the reenactment Jess climbs down the well um, this to me is evidence that Billy thinks her plan is working very smoothly because she's just letting Jess do all of the work to actually get the box. Um, but unfortunately, Jess climbs back up and says, yo, the Loppies box isn't here. So this is when Billy's very polished exterior shell cracks. <laughs> mm -hmm. She gets real mad and she goes down. She insists on going down the well herself and Jess locks her in. And I loved this moment. I really did. Um, especially because Jess now has the obsidian and jade boxes. And she is conveniently rescued by Tasha and Oren, who came to the Alamo because Tasha went and looked at the Google search history of her computer and saw that Jess was, like, looking up the Alamo. Naturally. Um, speaking of naturally, there's this weird moment, like, Jess is trying to escape the reenactment because now, like, Casey is after her, right? Because Billy's locked up. Um, and Jess, like, starts the reenactors battling with each other because she, like, shoots a gun in the air and says, Viva Mexico. And this confused me a little bit. I'm not going to pretend I know enough about the Alamo yeah, no, to same. understand the history behind it. So I don't know if that's, like, accurate or not. But also, I feel like that's not yes. happening every day. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, regardless. <laughs> also, watching her shoot the gun into the air, she looked very, like... Did you see her face? I mean, she wasn't comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> she's not shot a gun before, this poor child. Okay, anyway, she gets away from the reenactors who are now all fighting each other. Um, and she jumps into the van that Orin is driving, and it's my favorite line of this whole season. Tasha's like, go, Orin, drive! And he's like, dude, there's a horse! Wow. He didn't laugh at that every time. There's a horse just in front of the van. And he's like, dude, there's a horse! And every time I see it, I start cracking up. Did you not think that was funny? I mean, I probably thought it was funny in the moment, but like, it wasn't memorable to me. Okay, I'm dead. That is my favorite line of the whole series, alright? Well, Aubrey's dead, so the episode's <laughs> over now. Okay, well, um, 
After they've escaped the Alamo, Jess is explaining to Tasha and Oren how she knew that Billy was BSing the whole time about, you know, being a treasure protector. There were two key factors that Jess picked up on. Number one, the photograph of Raphael and Sebastian was photoshopped because Raphael's shirt buttons were on the wrong side of his shirt. So it was like flipped around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the I sec- like that. Yeah, I liked it, but I also was like, uh, Billy should have been more careful about this. Like, this is very easily rectified. Like, that was sloppy, I guess. Yeah, true. And the second item was on the private jet on flight to the Alamo. Jess basically tested Billy by talking about how her mom, Manuela, was like a huge soccer fan. And Billy was like, oh, yeah, such a big fan, like blah, blah, blah. But apparently Manuela actually hated soccer. They also were calling it soccer, which felt weird to me. Well, I'm sure it felt weird to many other viewers as well. So anyway, you might be like, okay, well, where's the box? Because they went to the Alamo well, and there was no box in the well. And Jess is like, well, yeah, it's because it was never there to begin with. And everyone's like, what? You said it was in the well. And Jess is like, yeah, the real box is at Alamo, Mexico. Apparently, there is a town in Mexico called Viesca that used to be called Alamo. And so Tasha does her Googling, and she learns that, yep, the town had a well, but it was destroyed when a bank was built on top of it in the 1920s. And then 20 years ago, hmm, a bank robber broke into the vault of the bank and found the old well. The robber is in jail in Mexico, and his name is Diego Salazar. Dun, dun, dun. So to wrap up this um, this Edge of History episode, Billy gets arrested because she's trapped in the well. Casey calls our friend Miles because Miles has been working with Billy the whole time. So Miles has his hands on a, a USB drive that he is now being instructed by Casey to give to the FBI. The USB drive has an audio recording on it of Jess threatening to kill Agent Sadusky. So, Emily, what reaction did you have to this episode? Anything worth sharing? I I really liked the interplay between uh, Billy and Jess. I thought it was very, I thought it was very well designed that, you know, there was a chance that you didn't believe Mm-hmm. Billy when she was lying to Jess but there was also a chance that you did and then that you kind of as the viewer were it was kind of up to you to figure out as things were happening at what point Jess stopped believing mm. Billy until it's revealed at the end and I always like that kind of like retroactive thing so I thought it was very good yeah I will say about the whole learning why Jess didn't believe Billy I would have liked it just one ounce better if it was something we could have picked up on ourselves if we were paying close enough attention. You know what I mean? About like something that we know Jess knows about her mom or something like that so that if we were paying close enough attention, we would have been getting what what Jess was getting. But I agree with you. To me, at this point, episodes through episodes one through six, I thought this was the best episode so far. Um, like I said, people online seem to really fall for the Jess and Billy working together bit. Um, I felt like I knew from the start that Jess was double crossing her. Why? Even if you didn't, to me, even if you didn't pick up on the little tidbits that I tried to point out when we were recapping, 
my other thing, and, and maybe this is cynicism, but I was like, Disney is not going to make their new female protagonist look this stupid. Hmm. You know? Um, so I ultimately enjoyed the reveal, like, like you said. Um, so that's episode six. Let's dive right on into episode seven. Episode seven is called Point of No Return. I feel like we are also at that point in recording this podcast episode. <laughs> the episode begins with Jess telling us and her friends <laughs> that she's going to Mexico uh, to talk to Salazar in prison to learn where the third relic is. Um, this is problematic for many reasons, um, and people seem very co- concerned. Um, there seems to be like a secondary thing here in that, like, if Jess goes, she's gonna learn where the box is when she talks to Salazar, but also she'll figure out like whether or not he killed her dad, which. Once again, we're kind of bringing the family stuff like back in at odd points, but regardless, the whole thing is if Jess goes because of her status uh, as DACA, she she can't return to the United States. So her friends are understandably very concerned. Yeah, as was I, <laughs> for sure. Um, simultaneously. Because of the USB recording that Miles has provided to the FBI, Agent Hendricks is now telling Agent Ross to go arrest Jess for Sadusky's murder because it's as good as a confession. Um, But they're uh, still a little too slow because Jess, Tasha, and Oren prepare to drive to Mexico because Jess is determined, she is resolute, as Ben Gates might say, to make this plan of going to Mexico happen. We actually learn that Oren has been stashing money in burner phones just in case Jess ever needed to use her go bag. So sweet. Yeah. And there was a point, too, when Tasha was like, it must have cost... Or it must have been, like, you must have had to sell some good shoes to get this kind of money. And he was just kind of like, yeah, but it's Jess. Yeah, it was super sweet. Very sweet. But we also see an interesting turn here because Ethan now is around and he's not trying to talk her out of going. Which is very anti-Ethan, like what we're used to him doing. So he decides he's going to stay home in Baton Rouge to work on clearing Jess's name with the FBI since now she is wanted for murder. Um, Back, however, at the San Antonio, Texas courthouse, because recall, Billy is still detained. um, Billy is sort of waiting for her little hearing thing, I guess. And she is like detained alongside an Alamo reenactor. This, like, woman who, like, wants to tell the real story of the Alamo. And so Billy convinces the reenactor to tell her about the original Alamo in Mexico. Um, And, I don't know, this whole scene was so interesting. But for me, I don't know about you, the whole thing I could think of was, like, this is this random actress. I have never seen her in anything before. And now she has whole minutes to, like, talk through a major plot point with Catherine Zeta Jones. Like that's gotta yeah. be like very cool for that woman. <laughs> very cool. And I just thought I, honestly the scene was just so amusing to me because Billy was like clearly not that interested. Like she wanted to know what the woman was gonna say, but she really had to like play up 
that yeah. she was like on this woman's side in terms of like the truth being revealed and like oh my gosh these people are crazy it was very funny to see yeah it was it was it was good um so ethan true to his word he's going to the fbi and to talk to to agent ross and he tries explaining to her once he finds out about the recording which i'm pretty sure agent ross should not have told him about the recording because like ongoing investigation whatevs um he tries telling agent ross that the recording on the usb is a deep fake um so folks who maybe are unfamiliar deep fakes are sort of a newer type of technology where you can take um data from audio files from from photographs from video and use it to reconstruct you know audio of something that the person never said or a video of someone saying something or doing something that they didn't do things like that it's a very controversial type of technology um and the reason Ethan is so like can point to this and say, I'm proving to you that this isn't Jess is because a line that fake Jess, deep fake Jess, um, says in the recording is a little further down the road. So according to Ethan, Jess got a perfect score on her English ACT and the right word in that phrase is farther farther down the road however the word further is used in this context by the british aka billy just no yeah i didn't like this this is not my fave uh like i get we needed to get there i liked the fact that it was showing that ethan knew jess by bringing in the act thing but like she could get a perfect score on that and still say something different yeah and this was like the thing that everything else hinged on was like ethan making this point and i was just like okay well no exactly and fair enough because throughout the next several episodes agent ross is going to be really wary about this whole thing because of what ethan said and everyone's going to be like we can't arrest someone based on further versus farther which fair actually true um Anyway, Ross ends up going to San Antonio to talk to Billy. And she doesn't even ask her anything. They literally have like a 30-second encounter, which for the first two times I watched this episode, I had no idea why this scene even took place. And then it took the third watch for me to understand that Agent Ross got Billy to say the word further in that same like sentence structure context to prove that Billy would have said the word or like the phrase the way the deep fake said it it will come as no surprise to you that did not occur to me uh but (laughs) great catch um aubrey amazing oh my my pleasure um like i said it took me three times so um now we're back to our main in this case trio we've got jess tasha and Oren. they are crossing the border to mexico um there are uh, several poignant moments here um on social commentary and cultural commentary where as you know jess's idea is being checked the mexican border patrol officer says welcome home to her in spanish um she also jess also has a moment of saying like here in Mexico, quote, it's like everything feels so familiar and also not. Um, so it's kind of trying to emphasize that whole where does she belong? Because does she belong here or the United States? 
And then she's in a market and she's speaking to the market seller in, in Spanish. And the, the seller says, oh, you can just speak English if it's easier for you. Um, and so this was another moment where Jess says, I'm too Mexican for you, the United States, and too American for Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some poignant moments there. Did you have any uh, thoughts on that? No, I mean, like, I will probably cover it in another episode, but I, I do really like, I did like that they threw those things in there. And it, to me, felt a little less forced than some of the other kind of social commentary things that have been happening. So, yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, meanwhile, back in Baton Rouge, our good friend Miles is sent 150000 Bitcoins, dollars in Bitcoin. I don't know how Bitcoin works. Um, basically, Bitcoin worth one hundred and fifty thousand units uh, for having delivered the USB to the FBI. However, we see him decline the payment. This is this is really our Mitch turnaround moment, if you will, for Miles. So Miles um, at the bar where Liam is is now singing. Um, he confronts Liam and says, yo, Liam, I was actually the one to pull you out of the river because, quote unquote, Billy has gone too far. Um, he, Miles tells Liam about how Billy is framing Jess for Sadusky's murder. Um, Miles confirms that Sadusky was murdered. And now Miles wants to help Liam to find Jess before Billy finds Jess, basically. And so... I know we brought this up in our interview with Dustin, so the the actor who plays Miles, um, but to me this was the clearest analogous moment to when Mitch has that sudden change of heart in the bowels of Cibola, where it's like all of a sudden, just almost randomly, we have Mitch going from villain to kind of hero. He's trying to be vindicated that's what I'm getting here. And and I still don't really understand why Miles changed his mind. No, I mean, I think, you know, go listen to our episode with Dustin to maybe get some insight onto why Dustin at least believes that Miles changed his mind. Um, but yes, I agree. It's a little unclear from the perspective of the show. Yeah. So um, back in Mexico, Ethan shows up, I, I guess, because... Um, to use another turn of phrase we use when describing the movies, um, he has failed in his tasking to convince the FBI that, uh, in this case, that Jess is, is innocent. I see Emily's confusion. I say that a lot about Mitch and his family failing in his, their tasking from Queen Victoria. Mm. Um, anyway, Jess, we learn a little bit of Jess's plan for how she's going to talk to Salazar. She says that and this takes some mind bending, I think. She says that she's going to use Billy as a threat against Salazar. So basically, she'll be like, hey, Salazar, tell me where the relic is, and I won't tell Billy that you are imprisoned here. Because if I tell Billy you're imprisoned here, she is going to kill you. I guess because, you know, just thinks billy thinks salazar killed sebastian yeah i'm gonna be honest this was one of those things that was like a few too many <laughs> loops for hoops for me to jump through <laughs> so i just kind of was like sure jess go for it right and then it ends up not even mattering because at the mexican prison jess discovers that the person imprisoned under the name diego salazar is actually her dad Rafael. like 
cool, but also Raphael, why? So, okay, we're going to get to that. I just have to point out, though, y'all might remember from episode 51 that I mentioned after we recapped the first episode of Edge of History that when we, when Emily and I got the screeners months ago now, there was a a tag at the end of one of the first screeners that had a big reveal in it and that that tag was cut out by the time the premiere happened that tag was revealing that Raphael is actually alive. I will be clear. It did not tell us that he was pretending to be Salazar. <laughs> Correct. But we, yes. Yeah, so Aubrey and I knew he was alive the whole time, but we didn't really get a look at his face from what I remember in that. So like when I saw him in this episode, I had no idea who he was. That's fair. But also, to be fair, IMDb from the get has had Jacob Vargas listed as playing Raphael. So, like, you could do the math also mm-hmm. if you really wanted to. Fair, fair. <laughs> so, anyway, um, not surprisingly, Jess has got some questions. She's got some skepticism. And basically, Raphael's like, yeah, I'm not dead because that fire that you thought I died in, yeah, I just, like, escaped. And then... I got arrested for breaking into the bank in Viesca and quote, they assumed I was Salazar. And I'm like, what? And then he was like, so I just went with it. What? Like actual what? I would really like an explanation for that personally. Yeah. Um, it, it was dumb in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Just like one of those throwaways where like, they just want you to get past that moment, but we don't get past anything on national treasure hunt. No, not when it bothers us. (laughs) So again, Jess, angry, confused, understandable. Um, I am too, Jess. I am too. Right there with you. But honestly, from from a pretend critic's perspective, I really thought that this first conversation at the prison was Lizette Oliveira's best moment in the series so far. Um, I thought she was came across really sincere all the right emotions all the complexity of the emotions that she should be feeling in a moment like this so i just want to like give props there um anyway we see our first line here of Raphael's mentality being very questionable which is going to be recurring for the rest of these episodes um one but of then the- also suddenly not very sad. Yeah. We get a lot of Mitch turns in this show at this latter half of the season. But basically, Raphael says to Jess, who he has not seen since she was a literal baby, this treasure is more important than any one person's life, mine or your mother's. And I'm or like, yours. yeah, exactly. I'm like, yo, dude, you really, that's the, that's the hill you want to die on right now? You know? He is questionable. And she's like, why didn't you come looking for us? And Raphael goes, oh, I didn't come searching for you because if I went looking for you, Salazar would, like, I'd be leading Salazar to you. Salazar would know you were alive, you know, et et cetera, which I, I get that. I still don't understand why he's going along with the whole prison thing. I have another question. Please. We can come back to this later. Okay. Knowing who Salazar is now. Yeah. How did they think he was Salazar? 
nothing alike. Oh they look God. nothing alike. Holy haggis! That <laughs> I had not thought of that. Peak, peak Emily contribution right Racism. there. Racism. That's how. Racist. There you go. Okay. Well, you'll get to. For those who haven't actually watched the the show and are just listening to our recap, um, you'll know very soon what we're what we're talking about. Hopefully, very soon. Now, Raphael says, when I got to this bank in Viesca, aka Alamo, the relic, the the lapis relic, was missing. Apparently, the Daughters of the Plume Serpent, which for anyone who is listening, I would like you to know that I am now abbreviating this organization as DOPS in our notes. When I saw it, I was so <laughs> confused. Really? I was like, who the oh, f- is DOPS? And then I was like, oh. So much shorter than Daughters of the Plume Serpent. Um, according to the Raphael, the, the Daughters of the Plume Serpent moved the box. And to find the box, Jess must, quote... Go to the place where the first Queen of Spain and St. Jerome met and passed notes, end quote. So um, Jess leaves the prison. She's super mad and she wants to quit the treasure hunt. And it takes Ethan all of 30 seconds to convince her not to because he says that the treasure hunt has given her purpose that he hasn't seen in her since her mom died. Um, So that convinces her. And so they try to crack this clue. Um, so the rationale, they're like, okay, um, the first queen of Spain and St. Jerome, they were not contemporaneous, so they never actually met. So does this mean that there's an intersection here, maybe a place where two streets meet up? And I'm like, oh, look at this cute here subtle- at the wall. Exactly. A cute, subtle Easter egg. That is a real Easter egg, in my humble opinion. Okay, calm down. Next episode. <laughs> So they learn via the Google that there is a street named after Queen Isabella, and there is one named after San Geronimo. And at the intersection of these streets, there is a university that was formerly a convent, and this is the convent of Sorwana, who is the first feminist of the New World. Um, and at this point, I have a question for you, Emily, because I'm not sure if I'm misremembering something. Did they just bring up Sorwana because? Or is there a reason that we... I don't think there was a reason. It was just like, oh, look, important, important woman in this convent. So maybe it was hidden there. Um, sure. I feel like it was probably just a an opportunity to throw a little more history mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the mix. Well, what we do know is that, you know, no men were allowed in convents, so it's a pretty good place to hide a relic from conquistadors, which were men. Um, so then you might wonder, what about the whole past notes part of the clue? Well, our group of protagonists are taking a tour of the old convent, and they discover in the church an old organ which apparently Sorwana played the organ she she was musical and <laughs> she was musical <laughs> yes and so Tasha is like mm, I play I play organs and so she plays Jess's mom I think Tasha <laughs> was like I can play the piano which yeah if she's playing the main keyboard of the organ is like playing a piano exactly no like, obviously, that's what it 
That's exactly what I said, pretty much. So No, you she, said she could play the organ. Which you just said she can. Okay. So, she plays the organ, and on the organ, she plays Jess's mom's lullaby, which ends up there's like all these secret compartments within the organ so as the music notes are are playing things are happening in the organ we sort of get to see it and it reveals a compartment in one of the organs pipes and the relic is inside of the pipe oh my goodness i'm sure you ate this up if you could have seen my face i was like yes yes we are playing music it's up i love organs like to be clear, the musical kind. Uh, and <laughs> I, it, it is like the inner workings of them are so cool. And to think that there was like the secret thing. And like the only thing that confused me is like they had to play the melody like multiple times yeah, in order for it to work, which made me think that it wasn't like, I don't know. It, it seemed weird. And then to me, my other critique, or just, I guess, wish, was that to me it would have made more sense, but I guess it would have been easier to find if it was a combination of notes that happened at the same time rather than a series of notes mm. that happened sequentially. And I was thinking, um, some of the people that are in our Discord probably know this, but I was I had mentioned that I was thinking there's this one uh, chord called the the Devil's Chord um it, it's basically it's a tritone it just the notes do not sound good together um and so it was something that like wasn't really played in church music and stuff so i thought it would have been cool if like in the convent you know nobody would have played that chord so then when it was played that would have opened things but that isn't what happened interesting um well i hope you know that a future national treasure hunt assignment for you emily is going to be researching organs and if something like this is possible probably not but i will yeah excellent excellent i've we been all... in an organ at the hefner at our signups mm-hmm. yeah anyway so my personal favorite moment of this episode as jess and co are trying to leave the chapel with the relic um they're confronted by one of the nuns and jess I mean, admittedly, the beginning of this, I was prepared to hate this interaction because Jess is just like, please, I was told to find this. Please let me go. And I was just like, mm. <laughs> Okay, work on work on some better <laughs> better skills. And um and but what I really liked was the nun ends up looking relieved and she says, We've been waiting for someone like you to come for this. The burden is no longer mine. Yeah, that was very nice. It was very cool. Um, but I, I did want to think on this a little bit. Um, I wanted to understand how exactly the relic got from the original Viesca slash Alamo well into this then convent because it was a convent when it was hidden. Um, so I wanted to think about how this would work, right? Because the the hints to the location of this object that we have to work with are the Alamo well line, which was written into Meriwether Lewis's journal uh, that was pointing to the well, right? And then we have Raphael's line. We will never find out why he knew this. 
literally ever. Spoiler alert. Big problem. Big plot hole for me. Um, so my question was like, if the relic was at one point in the well, but then was moved by the Daughters of the Plume Serpent to this chapel, does that work temporally with the clue that sent our crew to the Alamo in the first place? So again, the Lewis Journal is where Alamo Well was written. The Lewis Journal itself would have been written sometime between 1804 and 1806 during the Lewis and Clark expedition. So then I'm like, what about Sorwana? Well, she lived from 1651 to 1695, which is when the relic was moved to the church. Because again, we're saying that like she was part of the movement to of the relic to the church. So to me, this whole thing doesn't actually work unless the Alamo well clue was written into the journal kind of like too late. So it was like an outdated clue. Like they were still mm -hmm. passing along this clue thinking that it was relevant, but it wasn't. So ultimately, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff with the journal that's uh, mm -hmm. exactly. weird, isn't there? All the problems, in my opinion, because we talked about this in episode 51, right? There were other questions about the journal stuff that we raised. And I kind of want to ask the Wibberleys if the journal was like a late clue edition or something. I'm wondering if there's one reason why clues around the journal specifically don't quite work. Yeah, that would be interesting. Let's let's uh keep keep things moving though. Uh, to you know we got we got a couple more episodes, and I have a lot of commentary on the oh. last two. Ooh, okay, I can't wait. Okay, well let's move on then. They are Jess is able to open up all the boxes now. She has all three boxes. She builds the full map, and they decide that oh Raphael can probably help us read the map. And why not? Because he ends up being utterly useless. That's why. Why does that seem like a really dumb assumption based on what we know later? Um, however, when they go to the prison to try to ask him about the map, Billy is there. And Jess thinks that Billy, once she realizes that it's not Salazar, it's Raphael, Jess thinks that Billy will try to kill him. However, did you catch this, Emily? I think this is a plot hole. There is no reason for Jess to expect that Billy will kill Raphael. Because he's he's in prison. There's no way he can be like a threat to her on the treasure hunt, right? Why would she kill him? Well, we learn in, an, in like another episode that Billy actually thinks Raphael killed Sebastian, not Salazar. But we don't know this yet. Jess doesn't know this yet. Jess doesn't know Billy thinks it's Raphael who murdered uh, Sebastian. Uh, see, so my logic was that uh, Billy was going to murder him to, like, force Jess to, like, work with her kind of type thing. But how does that accomplish anything? I mean, if she's, if she murders, she's like, do you think Billy's going to go, if you don't work with me, I'll kill your dad? Yeah. Interesting. That didn't even cross my mind. So maybe that you're was, right. That was what I thought. I don't know. Maybe you're right. It at least puts an explanation to what I think is otherwise not really totally explainable. So we'll take it. Um, now, her friends, you know, Ethan and, and Tasha and um, Oren are all trying to convince Jess to calm down as she's like spiraling out of control because of this, you know, realizing Billy's at the prison. As Jess has her quote unquote Ben Gates moment and says, I'm going to break him out. I'm going to break my father out of prison. And that is the end of the episode. Emily, do you have thoughts? I loved this 
episode in general. The organ thing, I think, just, you know, really made it for me. It felt like there was a lot of tension. The whole, like, dad in prison thing, I wasn't, I wasn't super interested in, unfortunately. But, um, I thought the, the clue solving was, was good, um, and well constructed in, in this episode in particular. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. So for me, I was of the camp. I was one of the people that hated the I'm going to break my father out of prison so much that I literally couldn't focus on anything else in this episode. I I, I just I cringe. I get uncomfortable. I get this like goosebumps and an overwhelming like almost anxiety every time I watch this line, hear this line or talk about this line. You know this because I've mentioned this to you multiple times. Like I can't you're I just can't fathom that they did this like it just really really bothered me we'll talk about why next week yeah if you want to hear aubrey get more uncomfortable because i have completely opposing thoughts to what she's saying so we're going to talk about it a lot make sure you tune in on our next episode (laughs) so you can hear us talk about it ultimately i hated this ending so so much that it makes me forget that other parts of the episode were actually pretty good (laughs) like the convent part and, and stuff like that so um yeah to me, that was episode seven. Fairly not memorable overall, in my, in my humble opinion, because things are really going to pick up after this as we get into episode eight. Yes, and episode eight is named after a television show. It is named Prison Break. That was a television show, Aubrey. That's that's fine. I mean, the fact that you're saying it's named after that and not after the entire point of the plot of the episode, which is a prison I mean, I'm sure it was a joke. Mm. Ha, 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 ha. Aubrey and I have been on ha, for a little ha. while now. We're starting <laughs> to get to the point where we get a little snippy with each other. Uh, from <laughs> what it seemed, people seemed to kind of enjoy that um, at the end of the last one of these. So hopefully you continue to do so as we try to speed through these next uh, handful of points. So recall, Billy has just learned that the Salazar in prison is actually Raphael. And this is the moment where we learn Billy believes Raphael was the one who killed Sebastian. Um, Billy now threatens to kill Jess if Raphael doesn't tell her where to find the Lapis relic. And (laughs) jokes on Billy, because little does she know, Raphael doesn't care about anyone's life in relation to this treasure right treasure treasure over everything (laughs) however i will point out emily we saw emotion in billy again when Raphael tells her about how her brother actually died and again i liked seeing this i don't know if you had thoughts no no it was good yeah okay well we're emily is now on billy's side okay good we have made a full turn so um orin oddly enough, is the friend who is now trying to talk Jess out of this prison break plan. And surprisingly and almost unrealistically, in my opinion, Tasha and Ethan are just straight up on Jess's side. No problem. Do the prison break. We'll help you. No bigs. Um, Oren is suddenly the voice of reason here. He chooses to leave Mexico, but not before giving Jess the trick to how to break into the prison. He points out that Hurricane Katrina that happened in the Gulf, um, that caused massive prison flooding and a lot of devastation. And he reveals basically that the U.S. prisons weren't up to code. And it turns out the international standard is to have a system in prisons that leads floodwater to drainage ducts. Makes sense. 
Um, I know we have to keep moving, but I do want to ask you, what did you think of this particular breakdown of the characters' reactions to Jess's plan? Because I think this is, like, almost bizarre. I actually really liked it because I think that what it it's demonstrating is, you know, kind of the reality of people. Um, and that in movies and television shows and, you know, other works of fiction, we like to view people, even in our own lives, we like to view people as being kind of this one not a one trick pony, but a, you know, so a person that's very, somebody that's very predictable that we know what they're going to do. Um, and they're always going to have the same reaction to things. But in reality, I feel like, you know, in, in life, people surprise you continuously. And I feel like we don't often get that kind of nuance of people responding differently to different types of situations mm -hmm. in movies and television shows. So, um, I kind of liked that we got to see everyone in the team at various times have their moments of doubt. I guess in a way, this isn't totally out of character for Oren because, I mean, Antonio Cipriano himself told us that Oren is selfish. And so I don't want to go to prison is probably going through his mind right now. Um, okay, we can move on now, Emily. Um, so you might ask, how are they going to break him out of prison using this information? Um, Tasha is going to use a piece of ransomware to effectively convince the automatic drainage system in the prison that there's a flood. And so that's going to lead the drains that uh, I guess are typically full. It's going to cause them to empty out so like the floodwaters can escape. But of course, there's no flood. So Jess is going to use the empty drains as a tunnel to get into the prison, at which point she has 10 minutes to get her dad out before the, the you know, drains refill with water. Um, what Jess doesn't know is that her dad has resolved to break out of prison to save her from Billy. So her whole entry into the prison is actually totally pointless, and she could have helped him out way more by, like, helping him from outside of the prison. I did find this very funny. I do have to say the vibe of this episode as a whole to me was very, like, fun dad-daughter interactions, <laughs> which I I just found this to be very humorous, that they both, like, were like, oh, come on. Like, I was going to do the thing. So, yeah. I mean, fair. The next point I have written here is that as they're escaping the prison, there are some strange dynamics and interactions going on between Jess and Raphael, which I think is intentional, right? Because these are two people who are theoretically very close family, but they don't know each other at all. And so I think it plays well, but it is awkward. It's very awkward. Oh, and super awkward. So, um, so but one, once again, Raphael is literally only concerned about the relics. Not at all about the fact that his only child is now inside of a Mexican prison. And meanwhile, on the other hand, like, Jess clearly doesn't trust him. So I think this yeah. leads to some interesting, as you call it, father-daughter time. Father-daughter time. It's a good time for everyone. <laughs> um, I, I personally would say that the only really dramatic moment of the prison escape is when they have to run across the prison yard. And there's like a sniper trying to oh shoot them. Oh my gosh. Okay. One moment to talk about this, which is shorter than how long this scene took. The amount of slow motion was so unnecessary. <laughs> it was so painful. Josh and I kept being like, it's got to be over. It's got to be over now. It'll be. No. And it just kept 
going. So much slow motion. Like we could have put so much more in this episode. Um, it was it was an unnecessary use of slow motion, and I am it hasn't really come up in the National Treasure franchise at all. But I am very much a critic of unnecessary use of slow motion. We're learning something today, <laughs> and uh, this this is it to a T. Wow. Okay, I've got a demonstration here. Um, well, this a lot of the slow mo is happening as a sniper is trying to shoot at them as they run across this yard. You know, something that Raphael once again is wholly unconcerned about the sniper aspect and his daughter being involved. Now he's like, "I got this. I got this little this little mirror thing. We're good." <laughs> he's trying to blind the sniper with a mirror, and I'm just like, "Yo, dude!" And then he dropped it and couldn't pick it up. <laughs> it was so great. This, By great, I mean terrible, but it, it was it made me laugh. <laughs> but I mean, he's about to get shot, but then someone kills the sniper. We find out who very shortly. But um literally as soon as they get into the van being driven now by Tasha and Ethan, literally the first thing Raphael says, and this rubbed me very much the wrong way, he goes, So where are the relics? Yeah. It this actually gave me, weirdly enough. Mitch vibes. I'm doing a lot of comparisons to NT2. I'm not sure why. Um, but it gave me Mitch vibes when like everyone is just shy of escaping the tilt platform under Mount Rushmore and they're like, they need to catch their breath. Or even Ian under Parkington Lane when all of the dumbwaiter system is falling apart and everyone finally gets to like a moment of stability and everyone's just like, oh my God. And they're just like, onward. Yeah. I'm just like, yo, dude, you're giving villain vibes here. <laughs> But apparently not. So I did have that thought, though. I was like, is he bad? But spoiler alert, he's not. I like that you thought that, though, because it does add an interesting like question to the mix. Um, okay, back in Baton Rouge. Remember how Miles and Liam are now like collaborating to save Jess? Yeah. So Miles tells Liam that Billy tracks everyone, basically in the world, we're about to find out, through the SIM card in their phones. So they need, basically, Liam and Miles need to get their hands on a phone from one of Billy's team members to basically get access to Billy's tracking system to find Jess. At which point I'm like, mm, Miles, you work for her. She doesn't know you've turned yet. Why can't we use your phone to get into the system? Great question. <laughs> Anyway, um, how are they going to do this? Well, Miles pretends to have captured and tied up Liam after finding out that he wasn't dead. So this will make Dario question Liam about Billy and like who he might have told about her. And I'm like, but he doesn't actually, he's never seen Billy. It was actually Casey that beat him up. So that's a little weird. Mm. Whatever. Um Basically, as Dario comes in and, like, pretends to start interrogating Liam, um, Miles knocks Dario out, takes his phone, and they access the tracking system. At which point, I have to say, look at Miles being techie, just like Alex in Good Trouble. And if you listen to our bonus episode with Dustin, you'll know what that's referring to. Um, anyway, next is a really odd scene that I'm wondering if you noticed, Emily. Yeah. <laughs> so... This really odd scene is of Agent Hendricks and Agent Ross just, like, casually watching a news story about, quote, uh, according to the television they're watching, growing economic unrest. And then the the screen over which this text is overlaid is a, a 
picture of the burnt down Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Let's ignore the fact that I don't know how those that image and those words are connected in, in this context. But Hendrix is watching this and he says, oh, this world is falling apart. Um, and, you know, Ross is coming in to say, oh, Jess is in Mexico City. Hendrix is like, go arrest her. The reason I bring up this scene is that you completely write it off as being unimportant or at most just really random and weird until episode nine when it's going to become quite prescient. Yep. Did you yep. did you think back on this at all after the reveal? Not until right now, but <laughs> now it makes sense, right? Now it does make sense. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I see. Like, yeah, I see what you were talking about. Mm. And everyone else will know very soon. So anyway, Ethan and Tasha drop off Jess and Raphael at some location in Mexico where Raphael's guy um, will find them and help them get across the border back into the States. And meanwhile, Ethan and Tasha are going to drive back to the U.S. themselves. So that's where we know where Jess is. But Liam and Miles are not having as much luck. They are back in Baton Rouge looking at Billy's tracking system. They see no sign of Jess. Um, but what they do see kind of accidentally or unintentionally is that Billy had been tracking Liam's dad for years. And the spot where I guess Liam's dad's cell phone last pinged was not where Liam believes or was led to believe his father actually died. This is the moment that we learn, oh, Billy killed Liam's dad. Now, we, of course, knew this already. And I'm like, come on, Liam, you should have expected this by now. Liam's a little slow on the on the uptake. We'll, yeah. we'll see in a bit. I would agree. Uh, meanwhile, Billy and Casey realize that Dario's phone is being used to access the tracker. And, like, why would Dario be accessing the tracker? So they call Dario's phone, and, like an idiot, Liam answers it and yells at Billy for killing his dad and his grandfather. So now Billy knows Liam and Miles are working together, and that was just altogether absolutely stupid. Yeah, very, very dumb of them. So the other henchman that came to Sadusky's house, uh, which is where this fake Liam interrogation was happening, I should have mentioned that, um... The second henchman, his name is Rotsky. We only know this because of subtitles. I just, whatever. Rotsky comes into the house looking for Dario. Um, Liam and Miles trap Rotsky in the clue room. But as the door to the clue room is closing, Rotsky shoots like his gun. And I guess the, the bullet like is goes out of the room before the door closes. And it hits Miles and kills Miles. Very sad. Very sad. R.I.P. Miles. Um, meanwhile, back in the desert-ish area of Mexico, Jess and Raphael find a book that, according to Raphael, only your mother and I knew existed. And I'm like, President's Secret Book Vibes here? Definitely. Um, apparently, this book is all of Raphael's former notes about the treasure and the treasure hunt. And we learn that Raphael and Manuela actually met in the first place because Manuela was a Malinche expert. And so everything that uh, Raphael believed about the treasure, Manuela already knew and believed because of her Malinche research that we know about from a few episodes ago. We also learn that Raphael's mom was a daughter of the Plume Serpent. Mm -hmm. very interesting so what i want to know is if Raphael's mom think this through with me emily if Raphael's mom was a daughter of the plume serpent that's only one generation removed from Raphael. 
in other words, the daughters were active to some extent not very long ago. So, like, where are the other daughters of the Plume Serpent in all of this? Wasn't one of them the, the nun? Okay. One. I show us everyone. I'm just, why is no one else looking for the treasure? They gave up. Wow, that's sad. Um, at this point, I just want to point out that I really hate Raphael. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not as, not as big as fan. I just, literally, did you notice this? As Jess is putting the relic map pieces together, Raphael's like freaking out at her because he's too dumb to realize that she's smarter than him and already figured out what to do with the relics. He, Because he's like, don't break them. Like, what are you doing? They're the boxes. Like, what? She's like, it's a map. Then he's like, he's super cringe. He tries like mansplaining the map puzzle to her. And he's truly, I say this with all the respect in the world, he is not very smart. Um, It's also... I don't know. I've been talking a lot this episode about intentionally poor acting, like on the part of Catherine Zeta-Jones and Brita Wool earlier in, you know, when they're working with Jess. I found this to be really cringe, poor acting, and I can't think of a reason why it would have been intentional. Yeah, I do feel like I remember Josh and I discussing while watching the episode that it wasn't the best display we had seen. Yeah, so... Anyway, the map is now built in front of them, and um, in the middle of the map is, like, a tree with an X on it. And Raphael says that the X on the tree is the Mayan symbol for sky. So Jess realizes that what they think is a river on the map is actually the Milky Way. And all the dots are stars and planets, so, like, constellations and Venus. We get some fun visualizations that uh, come as part of this that I know Aubrey uh, absolutely loved. I thought it was cool, but uh, yeah. Didn't seem necessary. There's also some historical tidbits that are thrown out there that I do think we will save for a future Hunt for History episode. So hold that thought. Um, but oh, here we get, we get our um, technology coming back into play, our modern technology. Um, Jess uses a star app on her phone to take a picture of the Milky Way on the map so that the app will spit out what location has this set of constellations. To which I ask, wouldn't it depend on the season or the time of year? Yep, and I don't know if I texted you this or if I said it. I think I just said it to Josh, but I was like, this is dumb. It would change depending on the time of the like the day the like ever like no but maybe maybe we are dumb and don't know this or maybe i don't i don't know uh maybe <laughs> it happened at exactly this time many many years ago <laughs> i think this is a very fair science critique that we can go into at a later date very true um anyway the app does not know about how science works clearly and the app says oh the location you were looking for is the devil's swamp outside of vicksburg mississippi um now we get a really random scene where the bearded guy he's back his name is White Beard's back he's back and he's just like running at jess and Raphael, and he's like he's trying he's <laughs> he says he's trying to stop salazar and they're like, who's Salazar? And he's like, Salazar is a group of treasure hunters dating back to ancient Egypt. And Which, important. For sure. We're about to find out that pretty much anyway in another episode. Um, 
But he's like, you guys need to stop looking for the treasure because you're going to lead Salazar right to it. Which also fair. But then Casey shoots him dead. And we will literally never be told what bearded guy's deal is. We will never learn how he knows about Salazar. We will never know like what his motivation is. Is he just like a lone wolf? Is there some other organization trying to stop Salazar? This annoys me a lot. Yeah, maybe we'll have to ask the Wibblies about this because I feel like this is something that probably was like written in with intention and then something maybe just got cut mm-hmm. that made it so that like we just missed like one line in one place where it was explained. Yeah. Um but I hope so. yeah. So um racking yeah. up a list of questions here for the Wibs. Yeah, really. Um so Billy ultimately is is now here. Um along with Casey. Uh, Billy is the one that tells us and both Jess and her father that Casey was the person who shot the sniper at the prison. Um, Billy has been listening. Uh, There is a tracker in Raphael's shoe. We really like the shoes in this show. Um, And so she knows now also about the Devil's Swamp. Uh, She... Aubrey has written here abducts, but she she kidnaps Jess and Raphael. It's the same thing, I know. Um... And that's how that's how the episode ends. Um, so reactions. This one was uh, a little more cringe for me at at times. Um, I was very sad about uh, Miles because I did really like his character. Um, pleased that we're getting to see you know Liam again, kind of doing things rather than just like laying in a hospital bed. Um. Yeah, but the stakes are really raised. You know, Billy, Billy's kidnapped people like not for the first time. <laughs> the show, <laughs> but yeah, Aubrey, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I felt that this episode was very fast paced. Um, but now hearing you critique the slow mo, maybe that's um not a good description. <laughs> um, I found the prison break to be a little pointless. And I don't love that Raphael is in a main role now, either because I, I either his character or his delivery just isn't working for me. Um, so this was not my favorite episode. Um, it was probably my least favorite episode of the second half of the season. So my least favorite episode of the episodes we're covering today. That being said, next episode, certainly one of my favorites. Uh, I feel like Aubrey feels the same way. Oh my god, I'm gonna go on the record and say episode 9 was my favorite episode of the season altogether. It is called A Meeting with Salazar. Yeah, and here is around the time in these episodes where Aubrey and I really begin to pick up the pace. It gets fun, it gets funny, and if you will remember, I have notes of commentary on these episodes that I will be interspersing at um random random points. So um Aubrey wh- why not begin? I would love to. <clears throat> Orin and Liam tell Agent Ross about their suspicions about Billy being really the crux behind all of this. The reason Jess is now wanted for murder. The proof is now supposed to be not just further and farther, but rather the fact that Miles is lying dead in Sadusky's study. But of course, when they actually, the police go to check, Billy's team has obviously cleaned up the scene because they're not idiots. 
Yeah, I I will say one thing that I I mentioned here or that I saw here that I liked was Oren was kind of talking about the silliness of talking to the FBI about a treasure hunt, mm. which I did appreciate as as a callback to the the National Treasure um, films. Fair enough, um, Oren is now almost in panic mode at the FBI. He admits that, yeah, Billy did actually kidnap me way back in, like, episode one or two or whatever. And so he does a polygraph to, quote-unquote, prove that Billy is the bad guy here. I'm not totally sure how a polygraph proves this, considering we know, and the FBI knows, because they say it in the episode, that polygraphs can very easily be faked. But he does miraculously pass the test. We also don't really get to see him answer any questions, so we don't know what questions he answered. All I've got to say is... I really wish Agent Ross had been even half an ounce of smart here and asked him, is Jess in Mexico? Is Jess in Mexico City? Etc. Because she would have gotten the answer she was looking for a heck of a lot faster. This is true. I uh, personally kind of liked these interactions. I thought it was really interesting that we are seeing that these guys, these guys, I mean, ultimately everyone in the group, but especially Orrin and Liam in this particular scenario, they actually need the help of the FBI and are like, begging for it whereas mm -hmm. we saw in the national treasure movies um they like kind of went to the fbi and then were like nah, that's not gonna work and then just tried to stay away from them the entire time but here we kind of have the opposite thing happening so i thought that was kind of cool now, meanwhile, little do uh, Oren and Liam know that Tasha and Ethan were actually detained by the FBI when they crossed back into the United States from Mexico. There is a moment during this detaining that Agent Ross acknowledges or at least says she understands why Tasha is so skeptical of law enforcement. We learn a little bit more about Tasha's backstory here as her grandmother, Pearl Baker, was forced into hiding for fighting for civil rights in the 1960s. And so... Tasha remains the one person that is still not cool with working with the FBI, at least up until this point. She says, you want to make things right? Let us go. And don't you know it? Agent Ross does. This is also the moment where we get one of my favorite things in the entire season. We learn Agent Ross's real first name. So RIP to the name Agent Lyndon Ross, because Agent Ross's real name is Hannah Betsy Ross. And when questioned about this, she says, eh, my mom liked to sew. Yeah. And all I got to say is we should have seen this coming. I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it so much. I loved it so much. It is good. I will say one of the things I liked here was the idea um, that we got this little bit of explanation about um, Tasha and her, her family um, and the distrust. I thought it was some nice kind of social commentary uh, in that that also wasn't excessively heavy handed. Um, and I like the idea that was kind of floated during Tasha and Hannah conversation um about the idea of the fbi using information as a weapon mm. um and i think that that's something that you know we'll come back to at a later point in time in a different episode but you know information being a weapon is something that i feel like is is kind of carried throughout the rest of the series uh, if not the entire franchise okay so jess and Raphael are 
in the custody of Billy. And Billy flies Jess, Raphael, and her team to Mississippi. During the flight, Billy finds a pin hidden in Raphael's secret journal, and Billy realizes the pin opens Jess's medallion necklace. And it turns out her necklace wasn't just a necklace the whole time. It was a wayfinder, which she explains as kind of like an ancient compass, and that the compass is going to point to the treasure in the Devil's Swamp. Yeah, this was a lot... (laughs) It was a lot. It was another moment of like stretches of like just jumping mm-hmm. a little. And I was also like, could any needle have done that? Uh, this is where we're going to have to research wayfinders. <laughs> yeah. So a, f- a fun question for us to, us to, you know, discover. Um, I will say, you know, one of the things that I, I do like here is that Raphael in talking to Billy is trying to, is basically saying that he, understands that Billy's trying to forget um, this whole thing about, you know, when she was 10 years old. There was an IRA attack in London, which killed her parents. Um, And it happened apparently, like, during Christmas shopping. And, like, Billy's whole lesson from that was, like, not to dwell on the past. And uh, Raphael kind of (laughs) being a bit of the that he is points out that that's what she's doing (laughs) by doing the treasure hunt. Um, and then she says that treasure hunters find things, which I felt like Billy could have had a better comeback to that. But, you know, whatever. Now we're on to our cute little meet-cute couple. Oh my gosh. Agent Ross and Dr. Zeke are on a date, and then they end up going to uh, Sadusky's study to basically test for any blood stains from Miles, um, of whom's body has been removed from the study. Um Dr. Zeke, in an adorable gesture in which he hands Dr. Agent Ross an arrangement of flowers made out of a bunch of different wrappers of foods, Aubrey is giving me a face, determined that- You're the one who wants to get through this episode faster! Determined that things like Flaming Hot Cheetos, Tic Tacs, Orange Tic Tacs, Airheads, and all that use Orange Dye 47, which is the dye that was on Sadusky's hand. Oh my gosh. So, uh, you, you noted the number there, right? No, but now I do. Orange dye forty seven. Mm-hmm. So, um, there I did look this up already because I was like, I gotta know. There is a dye called Orange forty seven, and so I'm, for example, like I'm guessing this is the reason why um Sadusky had like an orange stain on his hand and not like a blue stain or something like whatever other colors these foods come in. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another thing I might message the Wibberleys about. <laughs> Aubrey, oh my gosh, music. You have a you have a note about music, tell me. I do. Um I really started noticing weird usage of parts of the movie's themes. Um specifically the treasure theme or like the the theme that happens in the treasure rooms and the movies throughout this episode because it's used in really mundane moments like when Tasha is just like trying to ping Ethan's phone from their apartment because Jess has Ethan's phone. Um, just like things like that. Or when Oren hands her a coffee. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't know how I feel about this. There's also the moment when or-, or Liam and Ethan were like kind of talking about Jess and stuff like that. And the-, the treasure hunt music was being used there. And I literally have a note that's like, don't use this music for this conversation. And then I said, okay, well, the treasure was mentioned. <laughs> but okay, I got to know. But well- still, no. 
what 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 do you we're going to go into this obviously in a future episode but really quick 30 second version why do you think they're doing this with the music yeah I honestly have no idea. I I need to rewatch and analyze it. I just noticed where it was, but I didn't try to think about the implication. So I will get back to everyone on that. Well, my whole thing is like, I don't, you know me, I don't really notice the music because I'm weird. So the fact that I actively noticed this and found it actively strange, I was like, okay, there must be something here. <laughs> well, we'll take a look for the future. So, um... Speaking of, I mentioned that uh, Jess has Ethan's phone. So she uses the phone to send an SOS to his emergency contact, who is still Mina. And so Mina basically sends a pin, like, of of Jess's location, which is over the Gulf of Mexico because they're on a plane. And um, she sends that pin to the friends who are looking for Jess. So Tasha uses antennas from an old TV to track Billy's plane and figure out where it's going. She figures out it's heading to Vicksburg. They start driving to Vicksburg. Now, meanwhile, back at Sadusky's place, there is no blood residue because again, these people know what they're doing when they murder someone, but they're not that smart because Dario and the other hench dude, whose name I've already forgotten, they accidentally left Miles' phone at the scene of the crime. So they got to go back. And little do they know, Ross and Dr. Zeke are there. Ross kills the hench dude whose name I forget, and Dario gets away. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. That was a scene. It was <laughs> weird. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the the crew. This part bothered me. Um, the 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 gang is driving in their Scooby Mobile, whatever, to Vicksburg. Um, and in the car, Liam and Oren are uh looking at Sadusky's book, which is labeled Cross S Nostrum. Uh, and on it, in it, Sadusky had written, "There is no greater treasure than time." Underlined. I hope one day you can find underlined it in your heart to forgive me and then a list of treasures written down okay so aubrey's gonna go into the breakdown of this all i want to say is like liam makes a comment at some point that like he's noticed this before the book the the book and like also just like he's noticed that message before it was written on the back of the photo that from the first episode but that he, like, just didn't want to do anything with it. And my, my my whole thing is, like, Liam, you have had this for a while. You and Oren are able to crack this very complex-seeming thing in a very short period of time in a moving car. I feel like you could have done this, <laughs> like, an episode or two ago, and we could be a little ahead of where we are now but it's okay all right that's your thing my thing is you know we were doing really well for a while you know they had stopped having the characters decipher things unreasonably quickly but now we're back (laughs) and to me it's even less believable because it's not Jess doing the unreasonably fast solving. You know, it's not the character they spent the whole season establishing as the unreasonably quick puzzle solver it's Liam and Oren the two that are up until this point, not sh- not expected to be the quickest at these sorts of things. So anyway, as Emily mentioned, they do 
um, crack the puzzle very quickly. How do they do it? Well, they quote unquote, focus on finding time. Again, the words that were underlined. So they, um, they're like, okay, we're finding time. But they don't go and like look for the word time or anything as you might expect. They look at the first treasure that was written down. It was Nefertiti's tomb. And then they go to the Nefertiti's tomb section of the book and it says 1330 BC. And they're like, oh my gosh, we found time. It's 1330 BC. So they decide that this means pages 13 and 30. So then they go to those pages and on pages 13 and 30, the word all A-L-L is underlined. And so that is how they're going to crack this cipher. They're going to go through each of the listed treasures and find these repetitive words, okay? So the, the list of treasures ultimately translates to all lost treasures, all found, all destroyed by Cross S. Nostrum. It also says something about Billy isn't being, you know, she's not a treasure hunter. She's a treasure destroyer. Salazar is the leader of Cross S. Nostrum, which is apparently a cabal that Sadusky had been tracking and was about to expose. And that's probably why he was killed. Now, I just got to say, Emily, I do not know how Agent Sadusky found the words Cross S. and Nostrum. In this book at all, let alone on two different pages each. He is a special dude. This book is a special book. It is. Any other thoughts before we move on from this? No, I'm excited to get to the next part. Let's get to the next part. So anyway, uh, we also see that Tasha sends some surveillance footage of Billy having detained Jess and Raphael. Um, it's at this like airport hangar in Vicksburg and she had hacked this footage. She sends that to Agent Ross. So Ro Agent Ross and Agent Hendricks go to Mississippi. Okay, Whew. we're getting to the end, but it's really good. So the Agent Ross, Agent Hendricks, they board Billy's plane. Billy's not there. Tasha tells Ross that they have to go to Devil's Swamp. Hendricks is talking about how they actually need backup because, you know, Devil's Swamp is dangerous. Now he is, you know, casually eating orange Tic Tacs. And that's when Ross knows Hendrix killed Sadusky. And we see like this weird flashback slash memory almost yeah. of, you know, Hendrix having tea with Sadusky. And then Sadusky like falls as he's like coughing because he can't breathe because he's poisoned. And like he knocks a Tic Tacs out of um, Hendrix's hand and then Sadusky's hand lands on the Tic Tacs on the ground and that's what stains his hand. So basically, uh, Ross is like, you did this. And she's like, handcuff yourself to the plane. The local authorities are going to come pick you up. Um, and she also realizes, oh, that's why you were pushing me to arrest Jess because she was going to be a fall guy for you. So Hendrix is left on the plane, handcuffed to the plane what did you think of this? Em? Oh my god, this is actually really funny for when you were texting me. Uh, my note in my phone says, no, Hendrix, why? Okay, well, what y'all don't know is that Emily is watching this after I had already watched it. Um, and she goes, she texts me, she's just like, I think you said OMG Hendrix in all caps. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my god, right? I thought when, the, you know, Ross revealed that Hendrix killed Sadusky that that was going to be the big reveal. And you're like, Wait, what? That's what I'm talking about. I was like, oh my god! 
Because there's more. There's more. And there was. At the swamp, Billy's getting ready to launch her boat using this wayfinder thing that we're going to look into as a guide. Ross shows up. She says she'll shoot Billy if the henchmen don't drop their weapons. They drop their weapons. And then Ross is stabbed in the back by Hendrix with the Cortez sword. Hendrix is Salazar and Ross is dead? What? Uh, that is not okay. Yeah, okay. Whew. All right, so we learn all of this through the eyes of Raphael. This was done beautifully. This was done so, so well. Like, we see Raphael seeing Hendrix, and then Raphael's memory of Salazar, Hendrix, shooting Sebastian. And I'll just point out here, we never get a real explanation of Raphael's relationship with Salazar and Billy and Crossas Nostrum, and I do want this explained, but like he knows that he was there when Salazar Hendrix killed Sebastian. So like he's involved in this some way. We're gonna get a throwaway explanation soon. But basically, ooh, this, in my opinion was the best episode of the whole season, including having seen the 10th episode. So, like, best episode of the whole season. My jaw was on the floor at the two big reveals. I loved the final reveal of Salazar so much. I would have actually been fine with them ending the season right there. Yeah, no. This episode was great. Uh, Hendrix killing Sadusky, being Salazar, mind equals blown, just no thoughts, head empty. That That's it. That's all I got. I will point out, this has fascinated me in the last week when I've been doing Twitter reactions. It's like a 50-50 toss-up whether people liked this reveal or not. Okay, well, those people can have their opinion. But at this point in time, Aubrey, we have to end the episode with the last episode of Season 1 of National Treasure, Edge of History, known as Treasure Protectors, which we have shirts that say that. Go buy them. (laughs) yes please do um so Raphael is again trying to warn Billy that Salazar nay Hendrix killed Sebastian this is where we get this kind of throwaway explanation that Raphael at some point pretended to work with Crossus Nostrum but I'm really unsatisfied with this I think we need more there anyway um I would like to point out here that uh, they're showing a lot of Agent Ross on the ground, and I was very concerned because I really liked the character, so I texted Aubrey needing to know everything and was basically like, can you please just tell me if she's actually dead? (laughs) And Aubrey was like, you will find out she is not actually dead. And the first note that I have for this episode in the notes app on my phone is, that's a lot of blood for someone Aubrey says is going to be alive. (laughs) Okay, well, another common Twitter reaction, this also surprised me, everyone is distraught that they think Agent Ross is dead. Yeah. So, um, anyway, the the foursome of Ethan, Liam, Tasha, and uh, Oren, I can't keep track of them all, there's too many characters, they arrive at the swamp, at the kind of boat dock area, and they are immediately apprehended by the henchmen. It's, like, embarrassing, really. And so as the henchmen are about to shoot the Scooby gang, as you've been calling them, Agent Ross isn't dead yet. She shoots the henchmen from her dying on spot on the ground. And so begins this effort by Tasha and Oren to save Ross's life. But I will say, Lyndon Smith, you play Bleeding Out very well. 
Yes, good, good for her. Uh, meanwhile, we got our other crew. We got a lot of crews to keep track of here, guys. Okay, just, just hang on. We're almost done. Just stick with us for this wild ride, which is a fair saying because we're on a boat. Meanwhile, Billy, Salazar, Jess, and Raphael are, as I said, on a boat. They're following the Wayfinder, which we will look into. Um, Ethan and Liam just casually are there and t- take another boat. Uh, and somehow are not seen the entire time they're following this crew, although they, like, aren't that far away, for sure. And Tasha and Oren do something very incredibly helpful and uh, try drive Agent Ross to the hospital. Oh, they try to. Uh, Dr. Zeke, uh, who actually calls Ross's phone, fortunately, because they're dating, um, teaches Tasha how to basically, like, stab Agent Ross in the chest. Uh, to let, like, pressure off her lungs so she doesn't die. It's all very dramatic, but I will say that having watched a lot of, like, medical television shows, this is something that happens, and it often happens with a pen. Uh, That's probably why he recommended Tasha use a pen, and she was like, I have an eco-friendly metal straw. (laughs) Anyway, um, on this boat, Jess confronts Salazar Nehendricks about his oath to the United States as an FBI agent. And here's where we have, I'm going to read a couple of direct quotes because they're all going to be really important for understanding the motivations of Cross Nostrum, which will, I promise you, be the subject of an entire episode in the future. So Salazar Nehendricks says, quote, you've got it all wrong, Jess. We're the good guys. We're not here to get rich. We're here for the greater good. When secrets of the past get unburied, it rewrites history. It creates conflict, war. People suddenly feel cheated out of something they never even knew they had, end quote. Then Billy chimes in and says, the Pan-American treasure is a political powder keg. Cross S. Nostrum keeps the status quo. And then Salazar Ney Hendricks says, tomorrow is ours because yesterday is ours too. Yeah, I I will say, you know, Aubrey, you mentioned this to me, and this immediately came to my mind, too. This has major, like, white supremacy vibes to it. That being said, and not to discount that at all, we are definitely going to talk about it. I feel like there could be something deeper here, but I'm not sure what it is. So I'm going to need some more time to think about it, and hopefully I'll have my thoughts together for this kind of episode that we're talking about doing in the future. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, what we learn, or it's pieced together, that Cross S. Nostrum, they are treasure destroyers. So literally the opposite of treasure protectors. It's almost cringe. It's so exactly opposite. Um, But that's their whole vibe, is, is destroying treasures to keep this political and cultural and societal status quo. Okay. So send us your initial thoughts on that. It's a very interesting motivation for a disney show to explore unfortunately they don't explore it much more than what we just described to you so that'll be up to us later um anyway these scenes in the swamp and immediately after being on the boat in the swamp um towards the treasure following the wayfinder these scenes are the equivalent of parkington lane and underneath of mount rushmore um so we're not going to go into a lot of detail here because it's mostly drama and not really for substance so before Aubrey goes into this, what I what I will say is that the first thing uh, that I wrote down about these scenes was, ooh, skulls, yay, because that reminded me of Parkington Lane and Zebla. 
Okay, well, we got some parallels here. Um, there are just a couple of key points that are necessary to understand what's happening here. Raphael leads the group into a quote-unquote coyote trap. So basically, part of the indigenous lore is wherever there's a coyote statue, there's a trap. And so obviously... Jess and Raphael have not told Billy and them this. They want to use these traps to, like, trap them. <laughs> um, as a result of the coyote trap, one of the henchmen gets, like, drugged and starts hallucinating, and it causes a shootout. And so that henchman and another henchman, they both get killed in the shootout. Casey gets shot in the leg. Billy is very concerned for her. Yeah. I'm oddly okay that Casey was shot. I don't know why. I mean, you've made it very clear on no uncertain terms that you do not like Casey for reasons that we do not understand, as you have not made them clear, but we will continue to explore that. Um, ultimately, Jess and Raphael escape from their kidnappers in this chaos, and there ends up being two paths forward. Um, Jess and Raphael choose the left-handed path because, quote-unquote, the Aztecs trusted the god Huitzilopochtli, which means, according to them, left-handed hummingbird. Hummingbird! Mm-hmm. Uh, National Treasure 2 callback there. Y'all know we're going to look this one up later for Hunt for Histories, one of our future episodes. And ultimately, Jess and Raphael leave some hints to trick Billy into going the other way, so the wrong direction. Now, Ethan and Liam, they are on their little boat ride, too, and they end up catching up to Jess and Raphael um, just as Jess and Raphael get themselves trapped in another one of those coyote traps. It's a cage. Um you know, just in front of what looks like a treasure house. Amazing that the cage held up that well over all the years. Seriously, I mean, it was just wood. Um, and Ethan and Liam help Jess and Raphael escape this cage. There is, I will say, like a moment of apology and acceptance between Jess and her dad as they're trapped in the cage before Ethan and Liam get there. It's really the first moment that we see Raphael understand that maybe family is more important than finding the treasure and Jess actually finally understands that the treasure is representative of her family and of her heritage so it's kind of a role reversal here happening in real time I will also say that there is a moment in which it seems like not everyone may make it out from under the cage um and in the moment where Raphael is kind of holding it up letting everybody out I got very national treasure two vibes with the uh the door falling with the water as it's filling in Cibola. Uh So that, that was kind of cool. So back on the villain side of things, we have Salazar, we have um, Billy, and we have Casey. But Casey is starting to slow down because of her shot leg. And so Salazar Nay Hendricks shoots her dead because he calls her a liability. And Billy is devastated and realizes that Hendricks actually did kill her brother. So she kills Hendricks and says, I am Salazar now. Yeah, and there's a there's a moment in here where Hendricks says something about how he was chosen to be Salazar and, you know, whatever. I think it's really interesting and there's probably something that we'll at a later episode about, like, the idea that, like, Salazar was chosen by presumably a group of people. Um boardroom yeah and now 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 that is billy who has self self-proclaimed the title yeah it sucks what's about to happen though because she doesn't get to have her own moment of glory anyway ethan um after helping Raphael and jess escape he goes back to like the opening of the swamp to meet the cops because they won't know how to go where they need to go so liam continues the journey with jess and Raphael. we get this visual as viewers of the team getting smaller and smaller one person at a time um, 
As they approach the treasure house, they have to put their hand in a hole of the statue of the god of war. This is a lot like Surrender Your Hand to the Heart of the Warrior in National Treasure 2. Um, the protagonists, the three protagonists, get inside and close the door just as Billy approaches. Now, the antechamber in this case, it is not a fake-out room like we see in our National Treasure movies. Instead, it is a room that you cannot cross without arrows being shot at you. And you have to step on the correct floor tiles to prevent those arrows from being shot. Now, conveniently, Jess remembers that the uh, what the serpent symbols used by the Aztec, Inca, and Maya daughters of the plume serpents look like. And those are just, they just happen to be the floor tiles that you have to stand on. So um, another quick point here, because there are three of these tiles and you have to stand on all three simultaneously, I'd like to point out that you can coincidentally only find the treasure with three people. Thank God Liam is with them. And thank God Ethan decided to go back for the cops. Yes, very true. Um, I, I I will say that, to be honest, I thought this whole scene was less stressful than the tilt platform, mm. mainly because I don't fully understand the risks. Um, and I think this leads to a point that you, you're making here where the positions of the, the arrow shooty things inconsistently <laughs> are changing in between jumps so i'm like not really sure at what point they're gonna be shot what if, <laughs> if there's poison on the arrow like i it's it's just unclear to me so it seemed to me just less stress i was i was more like okay this is they'll get through it yeah basically the arrows are on these like pillars that keep turning with each step that you're not on the correct tile and yeah i'm pretty sure there are two different visuals like, each time there's a new step, they pan to the pillars and show them turning a little bit more. I'm pretty sure that two different times they showed them moving, like, the same clip. Mm -hmm. They just, like, spread them out. But, yeah, pretty sure of that. Um, anyway. Once Raphael, Jess, and Liam are on their respective tiles, the treasure room opens and then shuts behind them. They light the room with a lightning stone skylight. Mark that down as something we'll look up later. And I'll Missed opportunity for a torch. I didn't necessarily pick that up, but you're right. I picked up on the fact that for me personally, the treasure is a little underwhelming looking compared to what we're accustomed from the National Treasure movies. Also, it looks fake. Hmm. Okay. I haven't paid that much attention to like the treasure specifically in any of the movies. I think I'm usually just like very like swept up in the moment. <laughs> right, because I am the one who writes the notes for the treasure analysis episodes. Yes. Um also they see a Malinche banner on the walls, which quote means that your mom was right about everything amazing if that's how i l let me just put posters up places uh and have people believe that i'm right about science and that'll be great yeah that was a little bit of a stretch but nice you know closure there i guess but we're not done yet because billy blows up the antechamber and the door to the treasure room rude you can totally tell she's off her game without her protectors, like her hench people. She seems like genuinely scared and like she's shaking. And Billy is about to burn the treasure room down. She says, you know, to Jess, Casey's dead because of you. And like then tries to burn the room down. And then Jess is like swinging a lasso in a mirror and then lassos Billy's feet. This is the most ridiculous part of this episode. Yeah, a little Indiana Jones. Uh... 
to me, it did not work at all. Um, but Liam, as Billy falls to the ground, she like drops her gun. Liam gets the gun, basically detains Billy. Ethan is suddenly here. Um, Jess's dad seems like he's dead, but then he was just like sleeping or something. It goes, <laughs> it goes from devastating to humorous very quickly. It's a little jarring. <laughs> I I was concerned. I do have a note here that says, "Oh no, her dad." And then later, "Oh, okay, never mind." Yeah, honestly, I said it before. I'll say it again. I don't like Raphael. <laughs> I didn't want him to be dead. So it was cool that he just like pretended to be dead and was like, "Oh, I was dreaming." When so her it was cool his that daughter... Casey just killed people. What? Oh. You're co- that that is not like. relevant at all. I meant just in terms of you, like, okay. Anyway, we're we're tired, He's guys. He's not we're a well-developed character. I'm sorry. Anyway, the police arrive. They arrest Billy. Jess and Liam are officially in a relationship. Ethan is officially sad, even if he says he's not. Tasha and Oren are back together, too. They take a selfie with the treasure as a group because the Gen Zism wasn't shoved far enough down our throats yet. The whole season ends at the premiere or the opening of a museum exhibition about Malinche and the Mesoamerican treasure. Agent Ross, she survived. She's alive and she is with Dr. Zeke. Jess's necklace is in the exhibit. And so is a picture of Dr. Manuela Valenzuela, who did receive her doctoral degree posthumously. Okay. All the couples, amazing. Loved it. The music that was happening, amazing, loved it. The selfie, I, you know, it was one of those things that I was like, it doesn't need to happen, but I did feel like it was very, like, their children and they probably would do this. Um, the, that was, it was adorable. Um, Oren <laughs> did have a Riley moment in which he said that they made history, which Riley has said before, and then tries to take parts of the treasure <laughs> <laughs> um, while they're taking the selfie so i thought that was fun but then other things happen already they do liam rushes in with the tape recording from the very first scene of the whole show i just want to say i told you this was going to come back back in episode 51 i totally put money on that anyway liam says i found this tape in a box of my dad's old stuff and so I guess that's who the tape recording, that's like who it was for. That's who Sadusky was talking to in 2001 was Jack mm. Sadusky. Um, for the first time, I'm wondering if the 2001 was used to be like post 9-11 or something or a suggestion that, you know, 9-11 could have been tied in some way to the treasure. Maybe not. I don't know. But also just like why 2001? Anyway, yeah. um, Liam says, it's all about the Pan American treasure, what's on the tape. Um, but there's this other thing on it. And then Oren says, another treasure-ish thing? And Liam says, you could say that. And that's the end of the season. I found it really interesting that Jess didn't get the last line. Yeah, I mean, I guess her last line would have been like, let's go. Or like, something like usually, that. Usually that's a symbolic thing where like your main person's going to get your last line, especially because they don't know yet if this is getting another season at the time of this recording. And of course, at the time that they were recording the show. Um, yeah. I, I honestly didn't notice, but it's a good point. Um, okay, so instead of doing... Um, We'll, we'll do quick reactions to episode 10 and then our impressions of the whole first season before we close out here today. So, Em, what did you think of episode 10? Great. Love, music, puzzles, all board. 
awesome. For me, I felt that this episode was really very parallel to the falling action in the National Treasure movies. Um, I've always personally found the Parkington Lane and under Mount Rushmore scenes to be the most tedious, but I will say that I like the intricacies of Billy's character change once she's on her own, and I did like the museum exhibit concept for the ending. Um, so impressions of the whole first season and any hopes you have M for a potential season two um high hopes for season two um it was it was a good good show I mean I we always knew this from the beginning I was going to be on board uh there were times when uh the acting didn't feel great to me um I feel like from our discussions for us between the two of us it was different characters that we felt that for um but you know i there there were some there were some moments that were just uh, yeah there were some weird moments with the puzzles with the clues like it it had its it had its rough spots but overall it's part of the national treasure franchise we got our big treasure in the end it, there was social commentary to it. There were love stories. Uh, the fact that the same music was used was great. I think um, the parallels with uh, the National Treasure films, I thought they handled really, really well. Um, yeah, I'm, I ended the episode and I was like very amped for the potential for a second season. How about you? Okay, so I took the liberty of like ranking <laughs> the episodes or some of them um, because I, the more I thought about this season, especially this half of the season compared to the, the first half that we covered in episode 51, I just, I really felt like the show came into its own in the second half. The whole episode six through 10, I thought were like a different show in the, the best way possible compared to the first half. I just thought this, it was, it was more successful. It was more exciting. Um, I personally thought that episode nine Salazar, it was, it was the best. I it was phenomenal. Um, followed by episode six, when Jess is kind of playing Billy at the Alamo, um, then the treasure reveal in episode 10. And then I'm more ambiguous between episode seven, the Sorwana episode and prison, uh, the prison break episode and number eight, actually come to think of it, seven was better than eight, but it loses a lot of points for me because of the, uh, I'm going to break my father out of prison line. Ultimately, um, I agree with a lot of what you said in terms of the puzzles. I need more history in the puzzles. Um, I need a little bit less of unrealistic, quick puzzle solving, especially when we have 10 episodes to work with. Besides that, though, if we get a season two, I would personally vote for No Raphael, fewer direct replications of the movies, and even more of those subtle nods, subtle Easter eggs that were, those were, I think, really successful, the subtle ones throughout the, throughout the season. Yay, look at that. Aubrey and I agreed that it was a good show. Yeah, I would, I'd, I mean, I've watched each episode multiple times, and I am not trying to rewatch the 10 episodes again anytime soon, because I need a minute. Oh, sure. But, because we've watched them a lot for them being out this short of amount of yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot, but I think, I, I, I would just like to note that at the beginning of this whole process, we weren't sure how things were going to fall with our opinions of it. And I think that, you know, when everything's said and done, we've both acknowledged both the faults and the positives of the series and have come to a somewhat similar, oddly, 
uh, view of things. So very surprising. Anyway, if you have any thoughts on this, you want to tell us what you think of the season, uh, anything like that, go ahead and find us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. And you can also check us out on our website, uh, nthuntpodcast.com. Absolutely. And y'all are going to want to come back for our next episode. Now that we have finished covering what happens in the 10 episodes that we have so far of Edge of History, we can start making some deep dives into those episodes or perhaps even more interestingly, comparisons between them and the movies. Now, on the surface, this probably sounds like Well, obviously, like, she breaks him out of prison, he steals the Declaration of Independence, parallel, whatever. We have some more commentary on the similarities and differences between the series and the movies, and we think you're really going to enjoy that conversation. It's going to include a bit of a discussion about our perceptions of what an Easter egg is, what it means to be like a reboot versus a remake versus, um, you know, a sequel, things like that that I think you'll be able to take that conversation into other media franchises that you like as well. So please do come back for that next episode, comparing and contrasting National Treasure, Book of Secrets, and Edge of History. But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. (laughs) 